Welcome back to Six Pod, your weekly sports podcast hosted by Jacob Sherman and Simon Peebles. Uh, Jacob, how are you doing, my friend? Doing pretty well. Uh, been a good week, getting lots done. So it's it's great to get on the pod again and, and get after it. And do we have an episode for you guys today? Uh, lots happened. Uh, in the past week in regards to sports and things outside of sports. And Jacob and I are going to be bringing you uh, our thoughts and uh, our opinions on uh, some topics that kind of go a little bit past um, just sports. Uh, and uh, we just want to reiterate and, and kind of preface that uh, although these topics are um, a little bit more uh, serious in nature. Uh, Jacob and I are going to be uh, trying to um, provo- provide an, an opinion that is based out of, of reason and, and facts. And, um, you know, sometimes life gets in the way. And I think this past week is, is just a prime example of that. Hey, Jacob? For sure. For sure. So, uh, yeah, Jacob, do you want to start it off? Uh, what are we, uh, what's on deck? All righty. So, first we got off uh, the NBA and their start for the 2021 season. So, yeah, so the first question is, the league better off starting on December 22nd or later in January? So, as of right now, the NBA is uh, kind of in, in talks about when to start the next the next season as they just finished. And Kind of going forward, it's tough to see whether players are going to be ready, what's going to be best for revenue, and uh, it's a bit of a mess, but the NBA has been good in the past with this stuff, and Adam Silver at the helm, I think, I think whatever happens, it'll be it'll be the right call. Um, so I'll just kind of read out quickly uh, what's transpired. So on October 13, 2020, the NBA delayed the targeted start of the, um, the regular season from December 2020 to Martin Luther King Day on January 18th, 2021. However, the NBA is targeting December 22nd, 2020 as its start date with about 72 games as their schedule. So pretty much they were kind of thinking about starting in December and then they're like, um, maybe we should kind of go back to January, just give them a little more break. And then now they're like, actually December 22nd would be a really good start break. So as a fan, obviously you want to see as much sports as possible, especially with right now, there's, there's just the NFL going on. Um, a little slower than usual especially since they only play three days a week and as a toronto sports fan we don't have an nfl team so right now it's a little slow for us and i'd love to see the raptors as soon as i can however understanding the player's opinion is, is really important and really crucial in in a situation like this we've seen players such as danny green say he's heard other players wouldn't play um likely especially at the beginning of the season and, and possibly the whole season uh even lebron james said jokingly of course but he did say oh maybe the first couple of games i'll take it really easy up and down the court um and as a fan i want to see at the end of the day i want to see great basketball and i don't know if that's maybe the best option if we want to see best great basketball i don't know if the best option is to start sooner um what do you think about that i think that like the league has a lot on the line in terms of trying to recoup some pretty significant revenue since last year. So I think that's one of the main reasons why they want to start uh, in December, but that's coming from the, like the league. Uh, I know a bunch of markets uh, and, and teams who heavily rely on like gate revenue uh, are not a fan of opening without spectators. So I think, by like pushing it into potentially January, February, it increases the likelihood of getting some fans in. It's kind of like a catch 22 with the situation, right? Like, you know, if I'm Adam Silver, you can start in December and just rely on TV revenue and structure your um, structure the season like that, or delay it a little bit to potentially allow fans in. But I know that, some players want to keep the Olympics in mind. Remember, right? Like 
they're supposedly going to be the Olympics next year. And what if it was a 72 game season, let's say, and they start in January, like when are they finishing June? Yeah, I don't know. If it's a 72-game season, you have to expect that. It'll probably It's pretty similar to this, like an 82-game season. Like Realistically, that's probably three three weeks less, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure it's a huge like drop-off in terms of amount of um, playtime and, and games for the players. But yeah, you're right. Um, I do want to notice one thing like in terms of something I found interesting. In terms of revenue, they were able to recoup $1.5 uh, in revenue, just from the bubble, which is pretty impressive considering they had no fans. Well, it was uh, it was their TV sports deals, right? Like it was the the broadcasting yeah. rights that. Um, that's was... still like that's still decent. Oh, for sure. I just know that, like, there's no way the NBA PA is going to agree to another bubble, right? So it's either. Um... Well, the losses were steep. Don't get me wrong, but. They still, yeah. Yeah, they, they scratch, but I agree. I, I think fans are probably going to play a pretty decent sized part in how they go forward in massive, this. Massive. It has to be. Um, there are actually like, talks of the Raptors probably not playing in Canada at all, unfortunately, next season either, though. I don't know if you've seen that, but like New Jersey is definitely a place they're looking at right now, which is like why New Jersey, but um, that's unfortunate to hear because Raptors fans are the greatest in the world. And if we're not able to kind of be there, I don't I'm going to be quite honest. I don't know. Without the fans, the Raptors are quite the same team. Well, that's... That's a bit of a hot take. Well, not only that, but, like, I kind of agree with you in that sense. Like, I don't know if the Celtics, game, like, series plays mm-hmm. out the way that it played out if we... If like, they're playing at the ACC, right? Well, yeah. Because we, uh, so we have home court advantage, ACC. too. Oh, yes. my goodness. Um, no, I still yeah. call it the ACC. I still call it the ACC. Don't worry. No, but it's no, what it's going to be. Yeah. Like, I don't see Marcus Smart dropping, th- like, five threes in, like, <laughs> this goes your make. Like, that just doesn't happen, right? So, uh, we're getting off on a, on a tangent here, but, but like, back to the point. Like, I, I truly think that um, the league wants to, like, start. Um, but I think, like, the huge emphasis is on um, getting fans back in the arenas. Mm-hmm. But it's just really tough because, like, there hasn't been a league that has been successful um, bringing fans back without any issues, right? Like you look at the MLB issues, you look at the NFL major issues, mm-hmm. right? So like, I don't know, like I, I the don't, NCAA. I don't think... Look at the NCAA football. Like they have like a bunch of fans in there, and like it's like a, it's like a Christmas. Trevor Lawrence has COVID, like hundred percent. Yeah. So, so, and like Adam Silver seems smart. Um, the NBA PA, um, director, I, I forget her name. She's a female. She seems brilliant. Um, I think they'll do the right thing. I just think they're going to have pressure on teams or by teams rather to structure the season in a way that allows, um, revenue, revenue to come in. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause unfortunately not every team is backed by, um, an organization like the MLS E for example. So it'll be interesting to see, but you know, you, you think that they have, you know, all of this time in the world, but like they don't even have free agency done yet. Right. Yeah. No. So like, like they gotta, they gotta get, they gotta get a move on kind of. Yeah. And like I, like I said earlier, like, I don't think a lot of the players are super looking forward to like such a quick turnaround, but again, they also had a pretty long break. So it's like, they had like a, a mini season. They had like a, how many months long break March to March to August, July. Yeah, and then another mini season kind of. So, like, I feel bad for them, but I also don't feel bad for them. You know what I mean? Well, and they also get like this is probably the first time in their professional careers, um, specifically for the American players, that like they'll be home for like Thanksgiving. Like that's mm-hmm. something that they probably have never been a part of, or like Christmas holidays where they can actually like. Potentially, potentially, like, potentially, potentially. That's what I like. You yeah. know, there's an asterisk on that, but nevertheless, like they're usually full in the season at this point, and uh, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, they've just got 100%. so many people to please. That's all. Yeah, they do. But I think, like I said earlier, I think with Silver and 
and the NBPA kind of working together, I think they're going to make something work that, that, mm-hmm. that works out. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. What do we got up next here? We've got, oh, oh, oh. we've got a, a pretty serious uh, natured story. And um, Jacob, I just want to start off asking what you know about the Mitchell Miller situation. Yeah. Um, so as someone who just kind of read headlines and things like that, I've seen that he was uh, picked by the Arizona Coyotes um, and that he was a pretty terrible person. And he bullied uh, one child in particular who had uh, some disabilities. And yeah, that's, that's about the extent of it. But okay. from what I've heard, he's a, yeah, not a great person getting drafted by an NHL organization. So, Jacob, I have some pretty strong opinions regarding this uh, entire situation. Um, and I'd love to hear uh, what your uh, thoughts are about it. But first, just for the listeners, I'll, I'll provide a little bit of a backstory for this. Um, so the first pick uh, conducted by the Arizona Coyotes, um, 111th overall, was uh, selected or was chosen uh, to... Wait wait, uh, wait, 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 Why didn't they get a pick in the first three rounds? <laughs> they trade them uh, away? Which is, ki- which is kind of ironic um, that you asked that. They got their first pick, two, I think two picks, uh, taken away from them um, because they were illegally testing potential, um, like, draft this draft class so like they were like interviewing players before they could like that before before it's allowed basically so uh keep in mind jacob that they got in trouble for knowing too much about this draft class okay okay um yeah yeah, the whole report done commissioner gave uh handed that out um but yes so whatever that was their first pick uh fourth uh, fourth round 111th overall was selected uh mitchell miller um mitchell miller uh, as a hockey player it's a pretty good hockey player um but as a person trash individual so four years ago uh, at age 14 mitchell miller admitted to a juvenile court that he uh, bullied isaiah maya crothers uh, who was developmentally challenged, uh, and he's black. Um, and I did a little bit of digging, and a report um, that was published by uh, yeah Arizona Republic uh, sta- sh- stated rather that he rubbed uh, a push pop uh, on the inside of a public urinal and made Isaiah lick it. Uh, I don't consider that bullying. First off, that's like harassment um, and a hate crime. But um, he also used the N-word countless times. Um, Mitchell Miller is a white boy. um, And the judge overseeing the case just blatantly stated out uh, that he did not believe Miller was sorry. And that he was just um, angry at the situation that he has found himself in. And the judge was correct by saying that because the abuse continued two years after. Um, Probably of the advice uh, of his agent or parents, Miller sent uh, all 31 NHL teams an apology package um, that had a letter that outlined all of the ways that he's like changed as a person that he attended um, cultural sensitivity classes and therapy and, you know, community service and all of these different things. I sent that to all 31 teams ahead of the draft. Um, And Jacob, do you want to take a guess who has yet to receive an apology? Uh, Isaiah. Exactly. Okay. Um, according to his mother, Isaiah Meyer Crothers 
has yet to receive an, an apology uh, from Mitchell Miller. So there's, there's a couple of things here, Jacob. Let's just first talk about Miller and what our thoughts are about his conduct regarding um, Isaiah Maya Crothers. Yeah, it's it's pretty disgusting. Like like this isn't an isolated incident where he did one thing. Um, he continually bullied this kid, especially after a court hearing. Um, not only was he rude to the kid, um, insulting the kid, he brought race into it by using the n-word and repeated to do that. That that's something, especially today, that just absolutely is not okay. Absolutely not. I'm going to speak for myself here. And Jacob, you're more than welcome to um, agree or, or, you know, your journey with this. But uh, especially in these last six months, I've grown um, my awareness of the racial diversity or lack of racial diversity that is currently in society. um, And more specifically in uh, professional hockey. And I believe that Mitchell Miller has has no place in the league at all, zero. However, I I don't think, like, I think we need to look at this a, a little bit bigger here. And I am really, really disappointed in the Arizona Coyotes organization. Now, I, I do want to give credit that they did renounce their pick. However, I don't think they renounced their pick because they um, were sorry and did the right thing. They renounced their pick because they got caught. And, you know, like, like he can't be in the NHL. And I don't care if you're you're 14 or you're 20 or or whatever. Uh, his behavior is not something that um, symbolizes what professional hockey players do. Let's reiterate that this is continued behavior, right? This is continued behavior. Well, this it just got to a point where he had to go to court, mm-hmm. like. I think that's I think that, that's a pretty big point. And for a judge to say that you're not sorry about something is pretty bold. Don't you think? Yeah, it shows like a complete lack of empathy. And so the fact that he's apologized to teams and shown how he's changed there really just illustrates how uh, uh, delusional he is. There is no excuse for him not to apologize to Isaiah Maya Crothers. Zero. Just by that fact alone shows to me that he has not learned from his actions. Mm-hmm. And, and so... This is just a situation of, you know, white privilege. Because do you see, like, don't you think, like, the response, let's say a black kid did this to a, to a white, uh, white boy, white disabled boy. What do you think the response would have been in terms of, like, the hockey community? I don't know. Whack. Just, just whack. And the Arizona Coyotes knew. They knew, but they selected a hockey player who is good at hockey over the decency of the person. Meaning that they saw a good hockey player drop to the fourth round. They knew. Jacob, they got in trouble 
for knowing too much about this draft class. Many teams wanted Miller. He's a good hockey player. But after they learned about this, they took him off their draft board right away. They said, absolutely not. Not because um, they didn't want him for, for many reasons. Their culture, like the, the, the team's culture, um, the decency towards Isaiah Maya Crothers. And how do you explain that to your fans? Like, how do you explain that to young black hockey players who are supporting your team? It blows my mind. Yeah. And I believe 14-year-olds can, um, you know, uh, be better. I think, I believe in second chances. You know, like, uh, I've had many, right? But, well, A, I've never done anything remotely related or, or similar to what Mitchell Miller did, but he isn't sorry. Like, based on these actions, or based on the information that we have, I don't see him feeling like he did something wrong. Do you? I don't know. Like, just based on his track record, it doesn't seem like everything that he's done to make reparations haven't been towards um, Meyer Crothers. Like, they've been in ways that can help Miller. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. By apologizing to the teams, all that's doing is saying, Oh, let me let me tell the teams that I'm better. Um, whereas the person who's actually affected and hurt by this is hasn't received anything, and that shows. That shows. And it this it also shows that I'll, I'll just quickly bring in this event. We'll move on, but you know his sister or his twin sister. Did you see the statement? I think I think I saw it quickly, but but read it back. Um, he uh, she posted like a like a note statement or whatever and i think she deleted it like two minutes after she posted it but like screenshots live on forever um and i I don't have it in front of me but she basically said that uh, miller is not racist because she dated um a black person and miller was friends with um his sister's boyfriend uh, before and after the relationship meaning that he is not racist jacob that is the definitive proof um, and I believe the last statement, and again, this isn't, you know, word by word, but the last statement of, of this, of her, uh, her post said that, um, for anyone that knows Isaiah, Maya Crothers and, uh, Mitchell knows that like, there's two sides to this story. No. The only side that I really give a about is the fact that he has yet to receive an apology from this kid. Where yeah, like, just, what are you something doing? something I want to understand is if there's there's a side to the kid who's who's developmentally delayed is that what she's saying he's some somewhat at fault is that what she's saying well that's I don't know like she just said that like that I think that was the extent of her post was just that there's another side I just don't know how this could be in any any way Isaiah Meyer Crothers' fault. That's kind of sickening to me. It's awful. To be honest with you. It's awful. Um, the Arizona Coyotes need to do better. The fact that like they selected the, this team, or sorry, this player, really shows that like how far this team needs to, to grow. Um, it, I swear it's like every three months that the Coyotes are in the news for something poor. Like it's very rare where I'm I you know scroll through Twitter and it's something positive regarding Arizona. And I I, I feel for the Coyotes fans. Um I, I I feel for young black hockey players. I I I can't can't even imagine what this would feel like to them and and I I can't imagine. Um, but most importantly, I feel heartbroken for Isaiah Meyer Crothers in this situation. 
just like imagine, yeah, just imagine watching the kid who like made your even as like his family. Like imagine watching the kid who made your son's life even harder um, every day and seeing him celebrated. You know, right? and this the, the like these situations are why the hockey the the hockey diversity alliance won't work with the NHL. Do you know how bad things need to be for the HDA to say, you know what? Yeah, sorry, we can't work with you. Yeah. That says something. Hearing this story, reading the accounts, trying to wrap my head under, around this, it, it just makes me sad to be a, to be a hockey fan here. Um, these situations should not happen. And it's time for there to be like a- accountability in terms of um, these hate crimes. Like, I don't know how else to put this. Like, I understand he's 14. I, I get that. And I-, I see it on Twitter. I'm seeing all these people that are trying to defend him and, Okay, yes, he's 14. He was young. But he's at least 18 now. And the kid has still not apologized to Isaiah Myercrothers. He's not sorry. And it said the, 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 it said, you said that the abuse continued after the hearing. Exactly. So um, he has no place in the NHL. And the NHL needs to do better. They got to figure it out because. You know, you look at the NBA, great. They are making difference. They are trying. They are working with their players. They're doing something about it. They're using their voice. You know, you look at the MLB, they're trying. They're using their voice. Right? Then there's the NHL. We skate for everyone. That was their slogan, Jacob. Mm-hmm. We skate for everyone yep anyways we're, we're gonna move on guys but thank god yeah let me just yeah, quickly quickly add again these are simon and i's opinions um this is something we feel pretty passionately about especially given just the current climate um we felt that this is something we wanted to talk about and and strongly um, express Condemn. our opinion on it. Yeah, and this is something we we definitely are passionate about. And please understand and respect that these are our opinions on this, but this is something we felt need to be talked about. Yeah, we both came together uh, when this story broke, and we both felt that you know we wanted to to give our opinions on this, and you know it was situations like this and and stories like this that made us want to uh, start a podcast to to use our voice and um, to to try and spread. Um, positivity and you know awareness yeah awareness doing the right thing you know basic human decency not Mm -hmm. bullying a a disabled black kid i don't know Mm -hmm. just normal like just being a good person that's what jacob and i are trying to do being good people in this world and mitchell miller is not a good person all right we're gonna move on to something a little lighter here um (laughs) So recently the World Series ended. Uh, just, yeah, sorry about that quick turn, but World Series recently ended. And one big thing a lot of people noticed was Clayton Kershaw's success in these playoffs and World Series. Clayton Kershaw has been criticized quite a bit in the past couple of years for his postseason failures, or should I say lack of postseason success. And he's been held to a really high standard kind of his whole career, um, especially in the playoffs. And, and now that he's finally succeeded at this level, I saw someone say on Twitter, where does Kershaw rank all time in terms of pitches in the MLB? And I said, well, here here's my take on it. So I'm going to give you my top five pitchers of all time. And I'm going to start off with two honorable mentions here. Um, Bob Gibson um, recently passed away. Um, great pitcher. Two-time Cy Young winner two-time World Series MVP, two-times World Series winner. Um, and in my opinion, which 
which weighed heavily in my decision to make him an honorable mention, but he had the best single season of all time by a starting pitcher, in my opinion. Um, he had a 112 ERA, Simon. 13 shutouts. So that's 13 shutouts. Nine innings, no runs. 13 times in one season. Like, how many pitchers do you even see get 13 wins in a season? Let alone 13 complete games. Let alone 13 shutouts. That's insane. And then 268 strikeouts as well, which is, for the time, very impressive. And my second honorable mention is going to be Pedro Martinez. Arguably could have been in this list, top five as well. But um, for me, he's just just missing out. But uh, three times Cyan winner, uh, five-time ERA leader, uh, triple crown winner. Uh, just for those who don't know, the triple crown is uh, for a pitcher is having the most wins, the lowest ERA, and the most strikeouts in the league that year, uh, as well as Pedro Martinez winning a World Series. All right, so I'll just get into it. Man of the hour, Clayton Kershaw. Uh, I got Clayton Kershaw at number five. Um, yes, a little bit of recency bias, but I'm going to be honest with you. I've never really been a full Clayton Kershaw supporter. Um, I've known that he's good, but I've never been like, man, I love that guy. And I'm a pitcher, so like I, I watch a lot of a lot of a lot of tape on a lot of the great pitchers, and I've just never found what he does to be super exciting. But looking at these accolades, especially after this recent ring, you have to acknowledge he is a top five pitcher of all time, even if it is number five. So he has three Cy Young Awards. He has an MVP. Now he has a ring. Um, he's been the best pitcher of this past decade. It's been close. Uh, you can ar- ar- arguably give it to Max Scherzer or Justin Verlander, but I think Clayton Kershaw's body work is a little better. Um, like I said earlier, I don't love him, but you can't deny the facts. He's led the majors four times in ERA. He's the current active ERA leader. He's had an ERA under two three times. He would have another Cy Young if he hadn't been injured in 2016 as well. So four Cy Youngs. Not to mention he's led the NL in walk hits innings pitched four times and the MLB two times, as well as averaging 242 Ks per 600, well, not 600, 162 games over his 13-year career. Also the new current all-time postseason strikeout leader. Also having a no-hitter. When was his Those no-hitter? Are 2014, I believe. June 2014. Um, you can double-check my facts, but I'm almost certain it was June 2014. So it's been a while. But nonetheless, impressive. I'm happy he won. I um, am. I, I yeah, like you know what I mean. Like I'm happy he finally like I, got a championship. I have mixed feelings about that that World Series, but Kershaw like, is someone. At the end of the day, like he does deserve it. Like he's yeah. he's been a a horse, man. He's been he's been good. So number four, uh, Nolan Ryan, all time leader in strikeouts, just stupid amount of longevity. Um, he won a World Series title as well. Unfortunately. I still can't believe it, but he has no signing awards, which I believe does hurt his case. Although he arguably should have won in 1973 and 1977. Uh, 1977, just quick background on stats. He had a 277 ERA, 341 strikeouts, insane, and a 7.8 wins above replacement. I believe he led, in those three categories at least, he led the pitchers that were on the finalist list for the Cyan that year. And I, I still don't really understand why he didn't win it. Uh, he actually finished third with those stats, if, if you can believe it. Third with a 277 ERA and 341 strikeouts. And a 7.8 war, which was higher than the two guys above him. So, yeah, man. Here's the craziest stat for Nolan Ryan. Simon, seven no-hitters. What's the uh, what's the highest? Is that the highest? That's the highest. Seven no hitters. Um, that speaks for itself. Not only is he like an all time leader in strikeouts, and it's not even that close. Um, he's also thrown seven no hitters. Yeah, that's dumb. Yeah, enough said. Enough said about Nolan Ryan. Unfortunately, unfortunately, no Seungs, um, which I think no, is, seven is no a crime. Hitters. No, like yeah. seven no hitters makes up for that. It does, but. He's just not. He doesn't. He doesn't have the respect overall that I think he deserves. Right. Moving on. This is a little bit of a controversial one. Love to hear if anyone has an opinion on this one. But I got Roger Clemens at number three. Yes, Roger Clemens, the guy who has been accused of doing steroids. But putting those away just for a second, understand <laughs> that this era had just like a ton of steroids. Like if you look at the hitters at this time, like they were also 
they're also injecting themselves pretty good. And like to compete with that, obviously I'm not condoning his behavior, but like it was almost an even playing field at times when, when they're all doing it, it's almost an even playing field. Not that it should be that way. I'm very against it. This saying, um, acknowledge the time he was in. However, the reason he's on here are because of what he did as a pitcher. Seven times winning the Cy Young Award. Seven times ERA leader. One time MVP. Two times winning the World Series. Two times winning the Triple Crown. Again, as mentioned above, wins ERA and strikeouts. He's third all time in strikeouts. He's led the MLB in shutouts four times. Pitched over 200 innings 15 times. And never led the MLB in walks ever, which is really impressive because he pitched over 200 innings 15 times. Not to mention, okay, here's here's another crazy stat. Simon, do you know how many, do you know how many 20 strikeout games starting pitchers have had in history? No. Five. Do you know how many of them Roger Clemens has? No. He has two of them. He has 40% of all the 20 strikeout games in MLB history. Wow. And the other, the other three are are Max Scherzer, um, Randy Johnson, and Greg Maddox. Greg, no, Kerry Wood. I got to double check that. I apologize. Um, but I just don't think that's a resume you can ignore. Randy Johnson, not Randy Johnson, Roger Clemens, yes. Arguably doesn't deserve to be there because of his cheating, but I just think I, I think pitching is more than just doing steroids and enhancing your strength and, and body. I think there's a lot more to pitching than that, and I think it showed um, with him winning seven Sang Awards. Yeah, you got to respect it. Like, what do you think about that, Simon? That, that, that's a touchy subject, especially around the Hall of Fame, because he's not in the Hall of Fame. No, and you can't put a guy who has had, uh, who's had a situation with um, steroids in, in the Hall of Fame, I don't think, but I don't know. Like his resume is impressive. I just, mm-hmm. uh, per, me personally, I lose a lot of respect for uh, individuals yeah, who no. um, use PEDs. But that's just me. Nevertheless, no, hundred percent. By looking 100%. at his um, his accolades, like it, it's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, just to quickly add, it was Kerry Wood, not Greg Maddox. Just to make sure. Okay. All right, uh, number two. We are an accurate got... podcast. Six pod. That's what we are. Six. Pod we come with the receipts. We always come with the receipts. Yeah. Um, number two, number two, I got Mariano Rivera, uh, best reliever of all time, and it's not even close. All-time leader in saves, games finished, ERA plus, uh, postseason saves. He leads by twenty-four to the next closest person. So the margin between first and second place, he's first, is twenty-four saves. Okay. The person who has the second most amount of postseason saves has eighteen. So the margin between the two between first and second, is greater than the total amount of saves second place has. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. He's the all-time ERA postseason leader with a 0.7 ERA in the postseason over about 140 innings. Five World Series, Simon. Five World Series. And he's clearly a big part of that with his 0.7 ERA in the World Series. Here's a crazy fact as well. I'm sure you've heard this before, but more people have walked on the moon 12 than scored in Mariano Vera in the playoffs. 11. That's nuts. That's nuts. That's nuts. That speaks for itself. That speaks for itself. Like, not only is he dominant during the regular season, leading all time in saves, but he's also dominant when it matters. And that that speaks that speaks very highly of him. And, and you'll hear a lot of other guys say, like, Mariano Vera just was the best to do it. So... Unfortunately, he's not number one on my list. Number one on my list is Randy Johnson, the big unit, um, the most dominant pitcher of all time. Uh, just a 6'10", massively lanky man who threw from just this crazy arm slot from the left side. He's a five-time Cy Young Award, Cy Young Award winner, a Triple Crown winner, a World Series winner, a World Series MVP, a four-time ERA leader, a nine-time strikeout leader. He's second all-time in strikeouts. Um, he also played in the steroid era with no accusations, so that also speaks about his character and uh, kind of his his personality. Um, maybe he didn't really need them because he was throwing 100 miles an hour, um, being 6'10 from the left side. 
So I don't know what him with a steroids would look like. Probably, probably resembling the Hulk in some way. But he also holds a record for highest single season and career strikeouts per nine ratio. So his single season was 13.41 per nine innings. So we had 13 and a half strikeouts per nine innings for one whole season. That's, that's crazy. Like you think about a good pitching performance. Now you're like, Oh, this guy struck with eight guys. Like that's a great performance over like an eight inning game. Like, wow. Randy Johnson was doing this like regularly for a whole season, 13 and a half strikeouts. Like that's nuts. And his, his career, which again, all time highest, 10.61 per nine. So not only did he do that one season, he did it his whole career, which means he was just untouchable. He's one of those guys I mentioned earlier, had a 20 strikeout game, threw a perfect game, and a no-hitter. So in my opinion, like you just look at his body work as as well as his his records. It's it's impressive. And and if you ever want to see him pitch, like look him up on YouTube. You can watch Man, him kill watched, the bird. Uh... Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I watched a highlight pack of him uh, earlier today when I saw the so the, saw the list, and man, just like an absolute like unit. Yeah, and like watching like, him even... like pitch Go like ahead. the mechanics of it, like it's like I'm like, man, how are you getting a hundred miles per hour with that form? Yeah, he's got the he's got the length, man. Um, but yeah, you even hear other other players like there's a clip from him at the All Star game, like he's pitching in the All Star game. And like the other players in the league that are in this game are the best in the league, right? And they're scared to hit against him. That says something. That says something. Yeah, he's a tank. Yeah, man. Anyways, that's my list. Um, let me know if you agree with it, Simon. Thoughts on the list? No, man, I agree. Like I, again, like as you guys, as the listeners will learn, I'm not the most uh, knowledgeable when it comes to the intricacies of of baseball. Um, however, I did do like a little bit of research, um, on the the individuals that that you put forth jacob and i i could not agree more and uh, it was actually kind of fun like searching up these guys right like they're like you know the best man if you if you look up like their stats like like if you go on baseball reference at least like in the top right corner of their baseball reference page there's just like Mm -hmm. list of everything they've done it's like oh i was a 10-time all-star i'm two times scion winner like Mm -hmm. four times um mvp things like that like if you guys want to look any of these guys up on baseball reference, you can see, I'm not lying. These guys really did all these things I mentioned. It's beyond impressive. Six pods, uh, honest. We're an honest pod. We bring honest the receipts. Pod. Absolutely. All right. All right. Let's go. Uh, um, let's go to some, some nicer topics here, Jacob, or some, some lighter topics rather. Um, so, I don't know why the Leafs do not have a third jersey uh, for for the NHL. And Jacob, I just want to know, you know, why the M- like MLSE ha- has so much money, but they're just obsessed with keeping that that St. Pat's jersey, that green ass jersey that they wear once a year for like or maybe like twice a year for two games, one home a game, one home game, one away game, and that's it. All right? We're the richest team in the NHL, and we don't have like an unreal retro jersey. And, and I was doing like a little bit of research, and, you know, currently it's it's hard for, for teams to get their fans excited just because, you know, there's no start date and – um you know, free agency kind of has died down and there really isn't any like much news uh, at the moment. So I like a couple of teams have just released their alternate jerseys for next year, like Dallas, uh, Tampa, uh, Arizona has their Kachina jersey. Um, I know I was just talking about how bad of an organization they are and they are a bad organization, but they have an unreal alternate jersey. Um, You know, Calgary, Knights. Knights has an unreal one. I'll, I'll send you a picture of it after, but unreal. I don't understand why the Leafs don't have an alternate jersey. To be honest with you, like the Leafs are an iconic like look. Like like I understand a bit like why they're just like, yeah, let's keep it white and blue. Like that's just what we've always been. Like the logo hasn't really changed much over the years. Like, yeah, they've no. been like some nuances they've changed, but like overall, like it's, it's the same symbol and it's it's iconic. 
Um, so I understand a little bit why they're like, yeah, we, we don't need more, but it would be really, really cool. Definitely to see another one. Like, like the Raptors, like they're like city jerseys, their statement jerseys, like those are really cool and they definitely sell. So yeah, I don't see why not. I don't see why not. And like, I'd buy it. You know what I mean? Like I, like, I don't, you would buy it. You'd spend a lot of money on that. hundred percent. I would like an unreal, like retro, like Wendell Clark era, like Jersey unreal. That would have been that would have been unreal. Anyways, I'll move on. Um, the the next thing that I I, I want to bring up is the Justin Turner situation, and I know, um, Jacob, you know a little bit more about kind of from like the league's perspective. However, I'll I'll provide a little bit of backstory for the listeners. Um, so Justin Turner, he's a third baseman for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And he was removed from the eighth inning of game six due to a positive COVID-19 test. Um, The positive test was confirmed like during the game. um, And his test specifically was rushed due to an inconclusive test the day before. Um, As soon as the positive test came back, uh, the league uh, connected with LA and they told um, Turner to leave the dugout and, and go isolate immediately. However, despite the MLB removing him, he somehow made his way back on the field for post-game celebrations as his team, the LA Dodgers, won the World Series. But not only did he make his way back on the team or on the field, he was seen taking pictures with his team without a mask, touching the trophy, and sitting beside the general manager. Oh, no. No? No, the manager. Manager. Ben- bench manager. Sorry, I get those two con- con- yeah, confused. Bench yeah. manager, Dave Roberts, who had cancer. Jacob, I think the responsibility falls a lot on the player. Do you agree with this? That statement, rather. I agree he has uh, a share in the responsibility. However, I don't think he is the primary um, the primary person we, or organization or entity or antagonist in the situation. I don't condone or defend his actions. Uh, obviously, he, he did something that was probably irresponsible. No, not probably. It was irresponsible. Um, if we look at this from his point of view, I got a couple things to say. So if we look at this from his point of view, um, this is something he's worked for not only the past couple of years, have the Dodgers been so close and, and just missed out. Um, but as a kid playing baseball, this is the moment you look forward to your whole life. So I'm not condoning or defending his actions. I'm just saying, if we want to get into his head to understand why after receiving a positive COVID test, you go out and do this, it's, it's maybe because like, this is something you've really wanted. And um, again, I'm not trying to defend him. I'm just trying to get into his head in this situation. Um, I will say something. This falls in the league without a doubt, without even a single doubt in my mind that this is primarily the fault of the league. First of all, how did a player who's supposedly protected by this MLB bubble get the virus? Like what, what led to him getting the virus if he's in this bubble formed by the MLB, right? Right? I agree. I agree. Okay. I mean, I have an answer. I have an answer for that. Um, two okay. words, Rob Manford. Yeah, and, um, and a lot of the players, a lot of the players said the bubble protocol was pretty trash. And clearly it shows. And then moving on, I think you also have to take into account some of the privacy of Justin Turner. Yes, now that we know what happened, very irresponsible. But do you think Justin Turner said explicitly, yeah, let's broadcast this to the whole world right now. Um, yeah, let's, 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 just, uh, let's just tell everyone. Like, Do you think that that's something he released? Um, who gave the go-ahead to say, we just got word that um, Justin Turner has been removed from the seventh inning of the game because he has COVID? Like, Yes, that's that's really interesting information and good to know. But at the end of the day, that's that's not really something the league should be sharing in the middle of Game Six of the World Series. 
Well, did Justin okay. Turner explicitly say not to like? Is that has that information been provided? It actually should be, unless he explicitly approved of his test results being shared. Um, it's possible that an HIPP violation. Oh, hundred percent. That's a might HIPAA be violation. might. Yeah. So, right. I just like, don't know, like, because like if he said that's fine for the team to release that information or the league to release that information, then that's fine. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And then like, I, yeah. No, you go, you go. I just want to quickly touch on like, yes, like he put people in danger by going on after he knew, but like, how does this happen where he's in like the locker room, he's in the dugout, he's on the field with these guys for seven innings before anyone can say, Oh man, this guy's COVID. Like, Again, that's on the MLB to get their results down and, and and just do something about it before this gets like into the public, like it did. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just so clearly. This is just so clearly on the league, and and you'll hear a lot of players talk about just how stupid they feel this was handled. Um, this this is yes, we weren't exactly there. We don't know what happened, but something had to happen for Justin Turner to go back into the locker room and then come out again, like. He had to go through personnel. He had to probably go through someone in the league. Um, so yes, yes, he is irresponsible for going out, but he doesn't hold all the responsibility. Now, Jacob, do you think a he should be punished, and b if you answer yes to that, what do you think that punishment should be? Not what the league is going to give out, because I think both of us could agree can agree rather that we can never really guess like there's no precedent when it comes to disciplinary actions with uh, the current commissioner. He's kind of uh, a loose cannon, if you will. Um, so let's just, if you were the commissioner, um, what would you like hand out as a consequence if you would at all? Um. One thing I do want to mention is that we haven't seen other stories about people on the field getting COVID, which is a positive, right, to take out of this. Um, however, the fact that he did this in the first place, yes, I would I would give him a fine. I would give him a fine. I wouldn't make it super heavy um, because, again, this is on the league essentially and, and primarily. But he did he did take some things – less responsibly than he should have and and that does in my opinion deserve a bit of a fine so he's not missing play in your eyes no wow i definitely think he should be missing play do i think he's gonna probably not um do i think he should for sure how much don't say more than like five no okay but so, like, then I can just, I can see that like a couple like, games I can I could get behind a couple games don't get me wrong um, like I, like I, I said like I mean, we just I bring up the analogy that I personally believe that his actions are more dangerous than using performance enhancing substances and my reasoning behind that you're probably not gonna like that take. So my reasoning behind that is that when someone takes steroids, that is like their own decision, right? And by taking steroids, you're not, uh, you know, risking anyone else's health or well-being or another player's wife's well-being or, or what have you. However, what Justin Turner did, the moment he decided to go back out on that field, his actions showed, at least from my perspective, that you know his ability to celebrate is more important than the well-being of those on the field. Yeah, I understand. I understand what you're saying, I and mean, I'm in agreement that yes, it's more dangerous to other people, but at the same time, you can't compare apples and oranges, like. This is a different kind of offense. Like this, not this isn't going against the game of baseball the same way taking steroids is. Like it's, yeah, it's it's steroids are only affecting me, but they're ruining the game. Whereas COVID can affect other people, but the game itself is not um, ruined the same way. You know what like I mean? What would have happened 
if this went to game seven? Like, are they, are you corn? MLB, like, like, what happens? Do they have to do like three? I don't even understand the MLB protocols. Do you have to do like three tests or like? I don't think a lot of people understand the MLB protocols because I don't think they're very good. I don't think they're very well set. Well, clearly so. they're not good. Like, the you know, the track record speaks uh, for themselves. Like, there were like several outbreaks early in the season. They kind of got it figured out in the middle. Marlins, Cardinals, yeah. Yeah. Um, one other team. Um, but yeah, like like I said, like even in this bubble where you're supposed to like lock it down, it somehow managed to get it. Um, showing that the protocols aren't good, meaning that going forward to game seven, they probably wouldn't have dealt with it that well either, right? I just, just don't know what track record. Like, I like there would need to be at least like a day. Like, do you wait the two weeks? Do you wait the two weeks to make sure no one has it again? No, you can't. Yeah, exactly. So... Because like, then, like the whole like, like then you risk more that... lives. You risk more people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and then you have like more pitchers available. Like, that would just it would just be like that would be a spectacle. You know what I mean? Like that. I think we could do a whole pod on 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 just how they would even handle that. Man, that's a headache. That is a headache to try and figure that out. Yeah. If if anyone listening like wants to get a little more in depth. Um, look into like how badly the league deals with some things. I would recommend watching Trevor Bauer, uh, Trevor Bauer's vlogs. Um, he does vlogs like during the season, and you can see kind of the protocols. You can see um, how, he, like, for example, how the league deals with him having custom cleats. Um, for example, I'll give you one quick example, and then we'll move on. But so the league says you can have custom cleats this, this year, and they don't have to match your uniform, right? Mm-hmm. So Trevor Bauer gets some custom cleats saying free Joe Kelly. Commissioner sees him says, you can't wear them in these games. You're going to get fined like $10,000, right? And it's like, <laughs> so not only are we defending the cheaters, we're going back on the words that you said at the beginning of the year, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, it's disappointing to see uh, how the MLB has, has kind of gone through this whole bubble and they got through it, but it was messy. And Manfred's got a, like, yeah, I'm kind of sick of talking about Manfred, but let's move on. I think just one last point, Jacob, and I wanted to see if you are in agreement with me. I think out of like the big four sports leagues, I think <laughs> the relationship between Manfred and the players are the most hostile out of all of them. Oh yeah, like right? not like, even to like, mention as a the player, lockout. you don't like the commissioner, right? Like, I, like as a player, you don't really like like the commissioner, but. In, from my uh, opinion on how some of the players talk about him, both publicly and in private, I, I am aware that they they actively just you know dis- detest him as a, as yep. a commissioner. Yeah, that's fair, um, and rightfully so. Right, he doesn't treat him with the respect, and in my opinion. Obviously, we don't know the whole story, so we can't fully judge every situation. But from what we hear and what we see, Manfred needs to be doing a much better job. For sure. All right. We got our last take here. The sixth take, right? Mm-hmm. Um, That's funny. So we're going to talk a little more about baseball. Um, this is a decision, not a decision, an incident that happened that a lot of people uh, we're talking about, and this was the Rays pulling Blake Snell from Game Six of the World Series after he was absolutely dealing. Um, so obviously this is the wrong decision, and I understand the statistics were telling him to go with to go one way, and and that's kind of the Rays thing. They look at the stats, they use their bullpen efficiently and effectively. Um, but in an elimination game, a manager has to have more than just stats to go on. Um, Snell. Obviously, he had some not-so-great starts. But when Snell is on, like he was in both games of the World Series, I think I showed you the stats, Simon. He was the only player since the beginning of the 21st century to have a postseason game with nine strikeouts and less than two hits, two or, two or less hits, okay? And those were both in the same series. So when he's like when he's on, man, he's, he's that Cy Young form of himself that he was in 2018. He was like, it's frustrating, especially as someone who who loves like who's a pitcher, and and when when you're in that situation, you kind of understand like, I'm working hard at this and I'm doing really well. Like at least, 
let me be the one that, that makes the mistake. Don't let me do this so well. Take me out for no reason and let me watch someone else blow it for me, right? For sure. um, that hurts to see and I wouldn't be super surprised if this damages the relationship with Snell and Cash um, going forward. Um, it certainly it certainly would make me think about kind of getting out of there. Although they are a very good team and it's be hard to leave, but like there's a lack of trust there, clearly, right? And I also just think that th- like a decision like that just goes further than the effect to the play, like the pitcher. Do you know what I mean? Like that affects the, the oh, entire yeah. team, right? Like, I don't know. So if I was just, a... Yeah, I'll just quickly give you a quick story. Uh, I was listening to another podcast called Talking Baseball. Um, if you guys ever listen to that, but they they uh, interviewed AJ Pollock, who's an outfielder for the Dodgers, and they talked about that incident, and they were like, uh, and the, the Dodgers talking at least they were like, well, um, like he's on right now, like no one can touch him. And then they saw Nick Anderson, like, and Pollock said, yeah, Anderson's a good pitcher, but Snell was like dealing, and we had seen Anderson a couple times that series, so when they get to see him after they've seen him a couple times that series. They're happy about that, right? They're they're delighted to see the guy who's been destroying them this game um, go out and see a guy that they've seen many times, right? Yep. Yeah, and I I think a lot of people agree. A lot of, you look at, at Twitter, people saying, "Wow, like, can't believe you, you took him out after he was just absolutely dealing out there." And I think the one the main thing that that got Cash to say, "Okay, it's time to go," is that the third time through the order. That's when Snell historically falls apart. So again, I understand the statistics for saying something, but it has to be more than statistics making your decisions in well, game I just think six. In that situation, series. like analytics needs to take a back seat, mm-hmm. and um, you know the stage and just like the overall. Um, it's hard though, because like the Rays, yeah, that's the Rays, like yeah. And I'm upset about it, it, but I I get it. Yeah, and I think yeah, I think we can agree on that. Like, that's their identity of just having like this unreal bullpen, and that's how they they win games. And I just like, don't let's know look at the, let's look at the flip side. Let's look at the flip side for a second. Like Dave Roberts managed his bullpen incredibly, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I've said this before, pitching wins games, and and Dave Roberts was able to to pitch better overall than, than Kevin Cash did. He made the right decisions at the right time. Yeah, and I know you didn't want to, you didn't want to see LA win. Like I know, I know you were you were a Tampa Tampa supporter, but I thought they were doing it. I thought they were doing it this year, but. Kudos to the Dodgers. They were really good. Good for Clayton Kershaw. Good for Mookie Betts. Like those are two, those are two studs. So you can't ignore that. It's better than the Astros winning. Let's say that, right? It's better than the 100%. Astros winning. Hundred percent. We are not an Astro supporting. Pod. This is not an Astro pod. This is not an Astros pod. If you're an Astros fan, this is not an Astros pod. Gary, just understand. Um, and so. When Jacob and I were talking about this situation, this kind of prompted a, a, a closing thought or, or a closing question that uh, I wanted to ask him. And I, and I gave him a, a, a warning or gave him time to prepare his answer. And I just asked him, you know, what, in your opinion, is the worst coaching coaching decision in, in recent history? Uh, Jacob, do you want to go first with your answer? Sure. Um this is the first one that came to mind. Seahawks, Patriots, Super Bowl. The Seahawks decide to throw it to the end zone instead of using Marshawn Lynch. They're like they're like right there. And in this situation, most teams run the ball in general, not only when you have the best running back, arguably, in the game at the time. And they chose to pass it, and it got intercepted. And that was the game. That was the game right there. As a Seahawks fan, I'd be pretty devastated seeing that happen but it's just mind-boggling to see not using one of your best assets on the field uh, in the time you need them most. So I think that was one, and I'm sure a lot of people agree with me, pretty mind-boggling. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, however, I do have a different one. I, uh, speaking of not putting the best player on on the field or in this situation, the the ice when it counts the most is uh, good old Mike Babcock choosing to go with Patrick Marlowe on the ice with two minutes left of game seven down by two goals. Um, so that's probably my uh, worst coaching decision uh, in recent history for me, at least. Uh, I, I still can't wrap my head around that one. And, you know, 2020... I know that must be hard for you to say because I know that you're a huge Babcock guy. So I know yeah. that's hard yeah. for you to get you're, out. Uh, you're just trying to get a reaction out of me and it's not going to happen. Um, you know, this, this past year, uh, I know we got fired a, a little bit before 2020, but hey, He's gone. He's not the coach of the Leafs anymore. Is there something positive? Because if I have to watch another Game 7 with him um, at the reins, I was going to lose it. So, Babcock, wherever you are, um, you know. This is a Babcock pod. You're welcome here. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Come on, Six Pod. I want to ask... Um, I want to ask you yourself why all the questions. Yeah, all the I've, questions. I have so many. <laughs> all right, guys. Um, that's that's it for us today. Uh, thanks for listening. If you guys are still here, we really appreciate it. Um, if there are any American listeners, uh, good luck this week. Um, we're we're definitely thinking of uh, of you during uh, what's going to transpire these next couple of days and. Jacob, by the recording of the next pod, there, I mean, I hope there is, um, uh, there will be a new president announced. So, exciting stuff, and yeah. Thanks for joining us, I appreciate it. Uh, if you have any feedback, let us know. Um, going forward, we might have something called a fan take, where we kind of read out your take or have your take kind of spoken on here. So, if anyone wants to give us something to talk about, We're definitely into that. So thanks for coming by.